What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is not your average Boston sports podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden, coming to you folks on this Tuesday, Valentine's Day, February 14th, 2023, episode uh, 228. Today, I've uh, got plenty of stuff for you folks. Uh, plenty of uh, Celtics and Bruins, little Red Sox. Might be a little uh, shorter pod today, but give you all the info uh, and stuff you need for this week. So, um, as always, you can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. You can follow uh, the social pages on Twitter and on Facebook. And you can also read my latest uh, content on Musket Fire, which is a New England Patriots fan-sided site. wrote my uh, second article at the site last week. You can check that out three underrated players that uh, are poised to break out next season. I'll be working on uh, an article this week as well. Probably should be up by the end of the week. Um, but yeah, let's get let's get into it. Uh, we're going to start with Celtics today. Um, you know, Bruins only one game played since we last spoke. So, you know, we'll, we'll get into that. But I think, you know, it makes sense to start with the Celtics and start with um, a team that's had to deal with a lot recently. You know, I think still with the absence of Marcus Smart, you know, the Celtics have really had to figure things out. And I think there was some concern last week when the Celtics were, you know, kind of struggling with offense a little bit and, you know, came off a couple of wins against the Nets and the Lakers. But you know, had a pretty disappointing performance against the Phoenix Suns. Um, and so I think rightfully so, there was some concern with this team. But this past week, man, they figured something out and they've won four in a row. And, you know, this is a team that's playing remarkable basketball and playing it without two of their best players. You know, Jalen Brown obviously was hurt this past week um, against the Sixers with a facial fracture. Uh, we'll be putting on a mask. I think in all likelihood he will be back after the All-Star break, and I think the same thing um, for Marcus Smart. But this is a Celtics team that just continues to roll, and you know it's so interesting and so ironic that the trade deadline came up last week. You know, obviously I talked to Derek Welch about that last week on Guest Friday. That you know, this is ironic that the trade deadline comes up where you make depth additions and the Celtics depth shows up and produces and produces against two very good teams this past week, you know, both against Philadelphia and then against Memphis on Sunday afternoon, the game that I was lucky enough to be at. And it just is so interesting that you think of the trade deadline as a time to, you know, upgrade and, make some depth additions to a team that, you know, has championship aspirations, but the Celtics' own depth, you know, shows up that someone like Derek White, who was just named Eastern Conference Player of the Week, steps up and he's playing the best basketball of his career. You know, 33 points against the Hornets on last Friday. I believe he had 22 or 23 on Sunday. And it's just having someone like that to be able to be confident in what he's doing and the ability to kind of run the offense is kind of remarkable. You know, I think that 
when he came over from San Antonio last year, it was, you know, okay, you know, he's a fine player. He's a solid player. He'll fill into the role that the Celtics want him to, but he has played on a completely different level in the last, you know, really, in the last nine or ten games since Smart got hurt. He's been unbelievable. You know, he's been the Celtics' assist leader in three of the last four games. Double-digit assists Sunday and Friday, and 10 assists both in those games. And it just is kind of remarkable that the Celtics, without some of their stars, have been able to withstand it. You know, there was that game against the, the Sixers that the Celtics were down, you know, four starters in that game. No Robert Williams, no Horford. You know, Jalen Brown gets hurt in the game. No Marcus Smart. And so the Celtics beat one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference, you know, with a group led by Derek White, you know, Brogdon, Luke Cornett, Blake Griffin, you know, knocked down some threes. So it just goes to show you that this team is absolutely deep enough to be a championship team in this you know, is not a trade deadline that you needed to be concerned with that, oh my God, you know, they need to get marketably better because it's like, you look at the production that they've gotten from their own depth guys, it's almost like, do you really need to add that much? And, you know, they did add something, which I think made sense. And they add Mike Muscala and he comes in and, you know, has been knocking down threes in his first two games here. So, you know, kind of is just almost unfair that this Celtics team can roll out this kind of depth without two of their best players, you know, without two of their best, you know, I think most important offensive players, because Marcus Smart makes everything go. You know, Jalen Brown has averaged 27, 28 points a game this season. Um, And even Sunday, the Celtics didn't have uh, Malcolm Brogdon. Peyton Pritchard comes off the bench knocks down some threes, and I've not even gotten to Sam Hauser, who's been unbelievable lately and starting to shoot like he shot at the beginning of the season, which, you know, leads you to believe that, okay, yes, the Celtics are probably going to look into the buyout market, but they might not have to. You know, if Hauser's going to continue to shoot like this, you know, he's he's been getting some starts, getting some playing time, You know, lately, which I think has more to do with his hot shooting, because I think when he was going through kind of some slumps, he wasn't playing as much. And I think, you know, it kind of tells you that, okay, it's kind of conventional wisdom that, okay, if a guy plays more, he's going to play better. And so, you know, he and Peyton Pritchard, you know, really were a big part of that win on Sunday that they kind of kept knocking down shots, keeping the Celtics in the game in parts of that Memphis game that they kind of, you know, played well for periods and then Memphis went on a run and you have guys that can make shots to stop runs and to have those, have that type of weapon, have those types of weapons, you know, is huge because it gives you an ability to, you know, be a run stopper that a team can go on a a 15 to two run as Memphis did on Sunday, but then you can come back Hauser hits a couple shots and you're right back in rhythm. So I've just been so impressed with this team compared to last season that one of the bigger complaints was they weren't getting enough production from the bench. And 
you're seeing production from every person that comes off the bench. You know, even guys like Blake Griffin, who, you know, his playing time has been so spotty this season. But he gets thrust into a role against the Sixers and knocks down five threes. You know, you put in Luke Cornett for 10 to 12 minutes, and he always is kind of in the right place at the right time. You know, is he the perfect bench big? No, but, you know, the Celtics now with Muscala have the ability to play multiple bigs. And, you know, Muscala is such a matchup nightmare because he's going to match up against some of the bigger guys and he's going to be stepping out and shooting threes. And I think it's just such a perfect addition um, at the trade deadline where the Celtics were not in a position where it's like they absolutely need a big-time player, but they need someone that can come in and fill a role. And I think Muscala has that, you know, type of skill set where he can just kind of be a, a hired gun, so to speak, where he doesn't really need to, like, learn a system, I guess, where it's like he can bounce between different teams, have the same skill set, and not really have to, you know, change anything about his game. So, you know, excellent addition there. So just it's just been really fun to watch this team perform without some of their bigger stars because I think it is going to be such a huge boost come playoff time when the Celtics presumably are going to be fully healthy. You can have the ability to bring Derek White, Grant Williams, Malcolm Brogdon, Hauser, you know, Cornette, Blake Griffin, Muscala. You can bring all these guys off the bench. They're playing these big minutes now so that come playoff time, they can come up with big plays, you know, and I think Pritchard can as well. I didn't even mention him. So it just is, I think it's just been great to watch this team, this team's depth, you know, come out when that was one of the, the issues last year, especially in the finals against Golden State, that they couldn't get enough from the bench and the Golden State bench kind of outperformed the Celtics bench later on in that series. So it's just been fantastic to see the depth, you know, playing as well as they've played. So four straight wins for the Celtics. Um, and they will close out the first or first half of the season and kind of put that in, in quotes because it's not a perfect, you know, split of halfway through the season. But the Celtics have two games left before the All-Star break. They will, they will be in Milwaukee tonight against the Bucks, and then they'll be back at home against Detroit tomorrow night. So, unfortunately, this is a Celtics team that might be incredibly shorthanded for this game. Uh, Jason Tatum apparently is doubtful um, in this game. If you take a look at the full injury report for the Celtics, um, obviously Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart are out. Jason Tatum doubtful with an illness tonight. Grant Williams, Robert Williams, and Brogdon are questionable. Looks like Brogdon's probable with his Achilles soreness. He missed Sunday's game. Uh, Grant Williams questionable with elbow swelling, and then Robert Williams questionable with the ankle. So it could, again, be a very shorthanded Celtics team, but I think, you know, clearly if the uh, Celtics are going to be missing Tatum tonight, it kind of takes away some of the... Uh, Kind of takes away some of the uh, juice of this game against, or this game between two teams that are 
probably the best two teams in the East and probably a team that will, you know, or teams that will meet in the playoffs. Um, so it looks like Giannis probable for tonight's game with a knee. Uh, Bobby Portis has been ruled out. Jay Crowder is also out, won't be available for the Bucks after the trade a couple days ago. Uh, Pat Connaughton is also day-to-day for the Bucks. So, you know, I think that obviously you want this to be a big game for the Celtics, but, you know, clearly I think if it's as close as it is to the All-Star break, Celtics have a back-to-back where it's like, okay, it's kind of too bad, but you might not treat this like this is a, you know, huge game, especially with all these guys in the injury report that, you know, it might, it might not make sense to go completely all in for what amounts to a meaningless regular season game, um, you know, could have an effect on home court advantage, although I'm not sure about that. Um, I'd have to look very quickly at the uh, uh, how the teams have fared. Because the Celtics have played the Bucks, or Celtics have played the Bucks just once this season, had a win on Christmas Day, and this is their second game against the Bucks this season. They will have a third game in Milwaukee at the end of March. Then that game might have a some like tie-breaking scenarios. Um, but the Celtics, you know, obviously first place in the East. The Bucks are a game and a half behind the Celtics, so, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens tonight um, with the Celtics, presumably going to be shorthanded, but I think it could also be interesting that the Celtics might try to test out some things in tonight's game if they're going to be very shorthanded. You know, does Blake Griffin get some minutes? Um, but I think Al Horford will play, um, and, you know, we'll see about Rob Williams, but kind of going to be interesting because I think obviously if Tatum can't go it makes this game have a little bit less juice but I also think this might be an opportunity for the Celtics to try out different matchups against the Bucks um, because presumably this is going to be a team that you're going to play in the playoffs so it might give you an idea about okay who are some guys that we can look at to defend Giannis you know, who are some guys that we feel can take advantage of any matchups that you have against the Bucks? So I think it makes tonight's game worthwhile for that reason, so that, you know, the Celtics can have an opportunity to try out different things. Um, you know, it'd be interesting to see, you know, how they do without Jason Tatum with the, and without, you know, someone that can get you offense pretty much at any time. You know, how do they do without him in the lineup? It'd be very curious to see. Um, but I think, again, probably shouldn't treat this like this is a big-time regular season game if Jason can't go. So, you know, it will be interesting to see how they do. And then, you know, I don't know how they approach tomorrow night's game against Detroit as that'll be the last game before the All-Star break. You know, probably don't expect Marcus or Jalen to return in these last two games as they can kind of give them a um, chance to rest. So I'm trying to think of any other Celtics news. I mean, there are some buyout candidates the Celtics could possibly look at. 
Um, but I think, like I said, if the Celtics are going to be getting consistent or continued and consistent production from guys like Hauser and White and Pete Pritchard, the guys who can come off the bench and score, does it really make sense for them to go out and try to look at someone like, you know, Will Barden, for example, um, who I think could get bought out by the Wizards? Um, I think Brent Forbes, someone that could also get bought out by, I can't remember what team he's on, but, you know, then it becomes an interesting question, okay? If you do want to bring in someone from the buyout market, what's their expectation going to be for playing time? Because, you know, as we've said, this is a Celtics team that is very deep and they've been, you know, showcasing that depth over the last couple of games. And, you know, do they really have an area where someone can get consistent minutes? And so that's kind of where it comes down to the player's mindset, where are they coming here with the expectation that I should be playing 15 to 20 minutes a night? You know, or are they coming here with the idea that I don't care what it takes, I want to win a championship, I want to be part of a championship team. And so I think if you're the Celtics, you probably want to look at the latter, someone that is going to want to come in and be selfless and, you know, do what it takes to be part of a team. And I'm not saying that any of the guys in the buyout market are selfish. It's not what I'm trying to say. But I do think that the player could come in with a certain expectation that they should be playing more, and then it becomes an issue in the locker room. But I think I'm pretty confident in Brad Stevens and the Celtics you know, front office that they can bring in someone that, you know, won't have that type of baggage, you know, someone that can come in and accept their role and accept that he might not play every night, you know, so I think that's why it's, you know, it is kind of interesting that, you know, it's kind of along the lines of what they were thinking when they brought in Blake Griffin, where, Certainly, he's had so much success in this league, but, you know, he was willing to take a limited role to be part of this team. And so, if the Celtics bring someone in on the buyout market, is that player going to be able to have that same attitude of, I might not play every night, and if I do, I play a couple minutes. You know, is that player going to be okay with that? And I think that's just something the Celtics have to figure out. So, but I think in terms of, expecting someone on the buyout market to come in and be a big-time player, you probably shouldn't have that expectation um, because they think at the end of the day, whoever they bring in is someone that might play five to ten minutes a night. You know, you're not expecting this person to be someone that makes or breaks your team, and it's not going to be. The Celtics are, you know, a title contender for a reason. There's not someone out there that's going to elevate them even further. So, you know, I just think people need to have their expectations tempered a little bit that they're not going to be bringing in a, you know, superstar player to, um, <laughs> there's not going to be a, a superstar player to be had. So uh, before we move on, I actually got a breaking uh, news leak from Bleacher Report that uh, Jason Tatum will be among the uh, three-point contestants um, in this weekend's All-Star um, All Star festivities. Now, you know, who knows if that's true, but 
would be pretty interesting to see. So uh, All-Star Weekend, obviously, this weekend, you know, All-Star events are, are always interesting. So that will be coming up, and I think that's going to do it for the Celtics. We're going to uh, move on a little bit, talk about the Bruins, who came back from their 10-day uh, uh, All-Star break and then bye week, came back to the Garden, lost to the Capitals 2-1. to on Saturday, you know, I think it's to be expected that this team was going to, you know, not going to say lose a game, but kind of just be out of it. And that kind of just seemed like what it was for most of the game on Saturday, where they're just trying to find their legs. You know, they looked a little bit rusty. You know, things were clicking offensively. Uh, just was one of those games. So I don't think I'd have a concern about that game. You know, Washington is always a team that comes in and plays the Bruins hard. Um, and I think that they were certainly up for that game. But it's like any time you don't play for 10 days, it's very difficult. You know, I think that it was good timing that the bye week came after the All-Star break, that you can just get all your rest in then. But it's like, on the other hand, it might take this team a little bit of time to kind of get back into the swing of things. So, you know, definitely a tough loss. You know, Nick Foligno uh, with the only goal for the Bruins Saturday. But, you know, those games are going to happen. You know, and this is a team that <laughs> I feel like I've said this almost all year, that this is a team that coming into that game had won 39 of their first 51 games. You can afford to have some losses. You know, this is a team that still doesn't have double-digit regulation losses, which is absolutely insane at this point in the season. And, you know, having losses is not necessarily a bad thing because I think, as maybe the adage goes, you learn more about yourself when you lose than when you win. And I think, you know, it's just... I'm not saying that it's good to lose because obviously you go out as an athlete, you go out and compete to win every single game. But I think... You know, it's not necessarily a bad thing. And certainly if you've had 10 days off and you come back and play, it's not necessarily a bad thing to, to lose a game. So, you know, I think that you look for them to kind of pick back up their game this week. Um, they're in Dallas tonight against the Stars. Me personally, I think this could be a possible uh, final, Stanley Cup final preview. Um, but, you know, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Uh, but I think it should be a fun game. Dallas is a, a really exciting team. Jake Ottinger, obviously a former uh, Boston University goaltender. So it'd be good to see him in action. Dallas has some, you know, really good players. You know, Tyler Sagan, still there, still kicking, still playing pretty well. Uh, Jamie Benn has had a really good year for them as well. Um, they have a couple of young players that are really exciting to watch. Jason Robertson, probably... One of my favorite young guys to watch um, in the NHL. So, you know, he definitely someone to watch out for. Um, one of the other bits of Bruins news, Jake Dabreska's return to practice don't look doesn't look like he's going to play um, tonight, but could play Thursday in Nashville. Bruins have a little bit of a uh, road trip, if you will, with a couple games um, out in the Midwest, Dallas, and then Nashville tomorrow, or Nashville on Thursday. Bruins then return home 
um, at the end of the week, a Saturday game against the Islanders, and then a Monday game against the Ottawa Senators. So both of those games at home, and then the Bruins are out on a kind of Western Canada trip where they will go out to Seattle, Vancouver, Edmonton, and Calgary. So it'll be interesting to see how the bees do out there. Um, I think, you know, one of the things that's been a little bit of a concern lately, you know, obviously there's been some carryover from uh, before the All-Star break to Saturday. The Bruins have had a really hard time scoring on the power play. I believe that they're like 0 for 13, 0 for 14 um, in the last couple of games. So that's something that, you know, certainly needs to change and certainly needs to get back on track um, because, you know, you always want to have a good power play. And I think with a team that's as talented as the Bruins are, you expect them to be good on the power play. And look, it's a long season. You'll go through stretches where you struggle. You know, I think when I think back to maybe it was November when the Bruins penalty kill was really humming along, Derek Forward gets hurt. Bruins kind of dive a little bit for a few weeks. Seems like something similar has happened that Jake DeBrus gets hurt. He's out of the lineup. Bruins are, you know, winning games, still doing well, but I think not having him on the power play is, you know, maybe saps some of their energy a little bit. So hopefully his return can help. But I think, you know, this is a team that has the talent to be really, really good, and you need those special teams to be clicking. I think especially as you get closer to playoff time because, you know, those special teams help you in the playoffs. They really do. And I think being able to be confident in your power play, you know, is a huge weapon. And the Bruins have a couple of big weapons on the power play, you know, especially with their first unit, you know, with Bergeron, with with Pasternak, and then whoever's manning the point, whether it's, you know, Lindholm or, or Charlie McAvoy. It seems like it's been McAvoy lately, so... You know, you hope that that kind of kicks up recently uh, or, or in the next couple of games. But it'll be also interesting to see what the goalies look like. You know, Jeremy Swayman was really good on Saturday, made a couple of big saves. Um, but I think I'm more interested to see how does how does Linus Olmark do in kind of this unofficial second half of the season. You know, he's a goalie that I think prior to this season... If I just look at his career numbers, prior to this season, has not played more than 41 games in a season, has not made more than 39 starts. He's already played in 33 games this season and made 32 starts. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how he does with the largest workload of his career. You know, clearly to this point, he's been great. You know, he's played the best hockey of his career, but... You know, I think that's this is where having really quality backup depth is important because you can have someone that can take the load off of Olmark if, you know, you feel like the workload is too much for him. But, you know, all signs are positive at this point that, you know, Olmark hasn't really showed any signs of slowing down. But, you know, Swayman, I think, has started to play better at this point in the season. Um, you know, than he was earlier in the year. And so I think having quality backup depth is huge. 
you know, kind of running into the second half of the season or, you know, getting later into the season as we get into, you know, the months of February into March, you know, approaching the trade deadline, which is kind of the point of the year that you want to be playing your best hockey. So it would kind of be interesting to see how the Bruins manage the goaltenders. You know, it seems like Olmark has been getting the majority of the starts. You know, who knows if that changes? I would be kind of surprised if it did. Um, but I think knowing that you have Swayman, you know, is huge. And I think it'd be very curious to see, you know, obviously this will be past this season and into the off season, but, you know, what does Jeremy's next contract look like? Because he is a restricted free agent at the end of the season. So, you know, Olmark to this point has been excellent and it's been fun to watch, really fun to watch the two of them performing so well and, you know, obviously fun to see those post-game hugs as we've seen 38 times because Keith Kincaid started a game. I think we've seen the post-game hug 38 times or about then. So, you know, just great to have both of those guys. Um, and, you know, as I mentioned, the trade deadline, it's certainly a interesting time of the year we are now you know as of this recording on valentine's day february 14th trade deadline is march 3rd so we are you know about two plus weeks out from a really important time of the year where you know guys are available guys are you know getting rested from teams that are you know not good teams that are looking to trade guys and you know resting them so they don't get injured so you know, it's kind of a crazy time of the year. So, you know, it's it's an interesting deadline for this Boston team because I think this is probably not a position that a lot of people thought the Bruins would be in. You know, playing at this pace, being the best team in the league, you know, having an outside chance of setting the all-time league record in points, you know. And so it's an interesting... It's an interesting deadline because I think that there are multiple ways that you can approach it. I think the first and most, you know, obvious way is, okay, you have a team that's dominated the regular season. You want to go all in to win the deadline and guarantee that you are going to just be an absolute wagon going into the playoffs. Um, and so I think that's one way the Bruins can approach it, that you are a really good team. You want to make sure that you stay a really good team. And how can you improve this team to the point that they're going to be, you know, very, very hard to beat? I would make the argument the Bruins are already a very, very hard team to beat as they've only lost 13 games this season. So, you know, I think that's one school of thought, you know, that you say, F the farm system, F the draft picks. Let's just do whatever we can to win a cup. You know, the other part of it is, okay, you have a very good team when fully healthy. You have the best team in the league and a team that is never out of a game. Does it really make sense to do a monster trade that may, you know, affect more than just play on the ice? Do you make a trade that affects your locker room in a negative way. And I think the Bruins are already a really good team. They could approach this deadline like, okay, we are a very good team. Let's just make some changes on the margins and just 
make sure our guys are properly rested and properly ready to go. So I think those are kind of the two prop, the two main ways the Bruins may approach the deadline. Um, and I think that there's definitely arguments for both side, both sides, and I think it is possible the Bruins could make a monster trade to improve their cup chances without having to, you know, give up too much. You know, who knows? There could be a way the Bruins could bring in someone like Jacob Chikorin from Arizona as a defenseman, and the Bruins can get marketably better at uh, on defense without having to give up too much. You know, who knows? I think that he would be a good fit, certainly, here with the Bruins, you know, kind of more of an offensive-minded guy. Um, but it's just going to be very curious what the price would be to trade him, or trade for him, I should say. So, you know, in all likelihood, the Bruins are probably going to have to give up, you know, a first-round pick and probably a good prospect to acquire him. And you might even need to trade a roster player, you know. And so then that becomes the question, okay, if you're acquiring a defenseman, do you trade a defenseman? Do you feel comfortable trading Matt Grizzlick, who is very popular in your organization, very popular in the locker room? He's really good friends with Charlie McAvoy, who is your franchise defenseman. Do you risk making a trade, trading someone like Matt, and risk making people upset, making people, you know, upset that, you know, you traded one of their one of their best one of their best guys. You know, I think that Brandon Carlo, you can make an argument for that as well, that he's also well liked in the locker room. And Don Sweeney, I think, needs to be very wary of yes, you want to improve the team, but you don't want to improve the team at the expense of, you know, taking away one of the most well liked guys in the room. You know, and I think there's some people that might listen to this and think, you know, who cares? It's a business. You know, you make trades to get better, and that's a legitimate argument. Um, but I do think I kind of just go back to when this team is fully healthy, when they're going the way that they've been going, when Jake DeBrusque is in the lineup and playing this well, that this is not a team that has very many weaknesses. That I think if the Bruins do have a weakness, maybe it's lower in the defensive or it's you know somewhere on defense where maybe it's not a weakness but they would like to get a little bit better in that area you know forward wise I don't think they really have to do anything crazy you know I think getting someone that can play in the bottom six can take face-offs can kill penalties you know I think Ryan O'Reilly to me would be the perfect addition for this team you know Ivan Barbashev also from the Blues I think would be a good addition to, you know, Nick Benino, who's a former Boston University uh, player, plays for the Sharks now. He could be an addition. Nick Bukestad from Arizona, he could be an addition too. I don't think the Bruins are going to be going to get Timo Meyer or Patrick Kane or something like that. You know, Jonathan Taves could possibly be someone that they look at. Um, but I think defensively is kind of where the Bruins are going to look for the upgrade. So, Chikrin clearly is an option. Uh, Vladislav Gavrikov from Columbus is a defenseman that I think would fit Luke Shen, who I've advocated for previously. I think he would also be a good fit. So 
there are plenty of options, but I think for me, the Bruins do not need to make a big splash to, you know, up their chances of winning the cup. You don't have to win the deadline to win the cup. You know, I think that there are teams that can make take big swings, like the Rangers, for example, bringing in Tarasenko. The Bruins don't need to do that. I just think at the end of the day, you don't have to make a big-time trade to improve your team. You know, this is a team that is very good as it is. And, you know, I think people shouldn't be getting upset if they don't make any sexy moves because this is already a team that's very good. This is not like the Bruins are a team that they're kind of a middling playoff team and they're, you know, battling for a playoff spot and you kind of need to make a big-time trade. This is a team that is very good as it is. And I think if you made a move for a bottom six forward and maybe kind of a defenseman that can possibly play, you know, top four minutes if you need them to, but could also be someone that's just kind of an extra depth defenseman. So there's certainly a lot of options out there for the Bruins, but um, again, I don't think that it's absolutely necessary that they have to make a big-time trade because this is already a really good team, if you haven't noticed. So I think that's going to do it for the Bruins. Obviously, they're in uh, Dallas tonight, 8.30 start on Nesson, and then the Bruins in Nashville on Thursday night at 8 o'clock. So those are the games this week. So I think we're going to move on, talk a little Red Sox. Obviously, you may have noticed that we will have a uh, we'll have a guest later this week coming in to talk about the uh, Red Sox. The spring training is officially kicking off. Pitchers and catchers report tomorrow. We've obviously heard some reports of uh, pitchers and some position players down there early, which I think is always a good sign. You know, I think that, uh, as we've said throughout this offseason, it's just going to be very interesting. It's, it's, it's going to be a very interesting season. Um, and I think just kind of a season that you don't really know how it's going to go. You know, I think they, you went into this offseason thinking that, okay, here are some things that they need to do. And they failed at some of those things that they needed to do. So, you know, I understand the, you know, not exactly feeling hopeful about this team because I think some of the things that they've done in the offseason don't exactly give you a lot of hope. And I think, you know, it's, it's, it's so interesting because obviously, you know, you hear about a lot of the negativity surrounding the team, but I think that the the players on this team, from what I've heard, are, you know, really, you know, thinking that, you know, and rightfully so, people, you know, counting them out, so to speak, um, but I think that the guys are coming into this spring training with the right attitude that, you know, we can kind of be a team that nobody believes in, and so you know, F it. If people already think we're not going to be good, we might as well just, just go out and play the best we can. So, you know, I think, 
again, this is a team that could go a thousand different directions. You know, and I've said this probably a couple times that this is a team that could be just a, a flawed team that doesn't have enough talent and wins 70 to 75 games. You know, or this is a team that the guys come together, they stay healthy, and they win close to 90. You know, I think it really could go a million different ways, but I think it starts and ends with the pitching rotation. If the Red Sox can get good, solid pitching, <clears throat> and their starting pitchers can be healthy, they have a very good chance, I think, to be got very a very good chance to be good. You know, I don't think we're expecting Chris Sale's going to be the Cy Young Award winner that he was, you know, five or six years ago. But I think if he can stay healthy, and this rotation can stay healthy, they can get games to the bullpen, and you can have more confidence in their bullpen this season. Um, kind of a completely remade bullpen um, with just a bunch of guys that, I think, can get guys out. And, you know, I think it's the pitching rotation. And can they score enough? You know, losing some of the power bats that they lost. Um, I think it's going to be very interesting to see, you know, where that power comes from. You know, the Red Sox have, you know, brought in some guys that have the ability to to hit home runs with Justin Turner and Adam Duvall. But I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see how does the rest of that lineup do. You know, Devers, I think, is going to be Devers. But, you know, what kind of hitter is Tristan Caspas going to be if he's going to be your everyday first baseman? You know, what can you get from Alex Verdugo? What can you get from Kike Hernandez, who really had injury issues all of last season, but I have, think had a pretty good year the year before. Um, if you look at his statistics with uh, 20 home runs. So, you know, I think the big question for me in the lineup is where is the power going to come from besides the obvious places? Um, and I think the obvious places for me are Devers, Turner, and... Um, Devers, Turner, and Adam Duvall. You know, and I think Cassis probably will sprinkle in a little bit too, but what can they get from the other guys in the lineup that might not be so obvious? So, you know, I think those are kind of the two biggest question mark areas for me that what can the rotation give you? What can the lineup give you in terms of power? So, you know, I do think that there is a possibility that this team could add something before the start of the season, you know, spring training. You've always, you've seen time and time again throughout the years that there are teams that make moves during spring training. I mean, I think the last couple of years we saw it because of the pandemic, but I think that there could be a possibility the Red Sox make an addition, I think specifically at catcher, because they think, you kind of don't know what you're going to get with Reese McGuire and Connor Wong. I think McGuire did pretty well here after the trade from Chicago last year. But I think, you know, what do you expect from him throughout the course of the season? You know, I think the Red Sox probably need a little bit more depth 
at that area. You know, I think shortstop with Kike Hernandez, how does he do there? You know, I think it's definitely a big question mark that a lot of people are thinking about. You know, I think that he can play the position. Can he stay healthy? Because I think you will get Hernandez and Arroyo, who are likely going to be your shortstop and second baseman, have had some injury issues. You know, Arroyo, I think more recently, that can these guys stay healthy? Because I think, again, this is a team that's already shorthanded without story. You cannot afford to become more shorthanded. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see. Um, but I think, you know, again, you really don't know what this team, you know, that's kind of the, the weird thing is like, I wish I could sit here and tell you, oh, okay, this is going to be what it's going to be, but there are just so many questions. Um, so spring training games do start on February 25th. The Red Sox will play against the Braves, so that will open up spring training. Their final spring training game is March 28th, also against the Braves. Um, and then the regular season gets underway March 30th at Fenway Park against the Baltimore Orioles. So, you know, I didn't want to dive too deep into the Red Sox as we'll be talking uh, more about them later in the week on Guest Friday. So I think that's probably going to do it for the Red Sox. We're going to get into some other non-Boston stuff, you know, really not much to share in terms of the Red Sox or the, excuse me, the Patriots. You know, I think that uh, just kind of the offseason, you know, figure out what other coaching additions that they have to make. Um, you know, I think I'm going to be very curious to see what the offensive line looks like with, obviously, Adrian Clem, the offensive line coach. And then, you know, what offensive linemen in particular are going to be brought in or who's going to return. That's kind of the most interesting thing for me. So, Obviously, it'll keep you updated on any Patriot news. Revolution are still going strong with their preseason. I think they have two more games. They actually have a exhibition in Florida today, I want to say. And then they have um, another preseason tune-up this weekend. And then the regular season starts February 25th. So that's kind of it for Patriots and Revolution Minute, I guess, if you want to say so. We're going to move on. We're going to talk about the uh, football game that was played on Sunday. You know, you may have heard about it. I don't know. <laughs> so I think just kind of overall thoughts of the game. Very good game. Very exciting game. You know, back and forth, down to the wire type game. I think definitely in terms of offensive showcase probably one of the better Super Bowls that we've seen um, in terms of two teams just being really good at what they do. You know, both quarterbacks were, were excellent. You know, Mahomes was great. Jalen Hurts was great. But I think, you know, it is interesting because I remember last week talking about this game that it may come down to who wins in the trenches. And lo and behold, the Chiefs were the team that kind of won in the trenches, I think, on both sides. Kind of amazingly, the Chiefs outgained the Eagles on the ground by a pretty good margin. 26 carries, 158 yards, a 6.1 rush average for the Chiefs. 
And then compared to the Eagles, 32 rushes, 115 yards, 3.6 yards per carry. Now, yes, Jalen Hurts did have three rushing touchdowns, but the Chiefs really were able to do a lot on the ground game, and I think that's what helped them. And then clearly, the offensive line did a tremendous job with the Eagles not sacking Mahomes once. Um, and I think, to me, that was the difference in the game. You know, there are some people that want to point to that uh, penalty call at the end of the game, which, to be perfectly honest, it was a penalty. You know, I I know that people are, you know, griping about you can't call that in that moment, but it's like, if you can't call a penalty in that moment, well, then it's like, I don't know, do you throw out the rule book? Because it's in the last two minutes, it's just, you know, I don't know. Like, I don't know people that, you know, think that you should referee the game differently. But then again, it's like we as sports fans, we always want the officials to be consistent. And I just think that if you want, you know, it's just like if that happens in the first quarter, you know, no one cares. But it's just like, it's the time and place in the game that I think people are kind of getting excited about. But it's like, if it's a penalty, you know, in the first quarter, it should be a penalty in the fourth quarter. You know, you can't change the rules because it's in the last two minutes, you know. So that's just me. And I understand people saying that, okay, they didn't call defensive holding the entire game. You know, and I understand that, but it's like, you could look at you look at the replay. James Bradbury held Smith Smith Schuster twice on that play. He puts his hand on his back, which a referee sees that they're gonna throw the flag ninety nine times out of a hundred. And you know, Bradbury himself even admitted that he held him, which is just like for me that's enough. The players always know. You know, I don't know if that's a something that I heard from a different sport, but players always know. And I think that, you know, good on him to kind of pee the bigger man and be like, yes, I made a mistake. And, you know, we can't leave the game in the hands of the officials, which is kind of what some of the Eagles uh, players said after the game. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's a penalty. And, you know, yeah, it's it sucks for the Eagles to essentially lose the game because of that. But, you know, it happens. But I think both teams, you know, played tremendously in this game. It was a very entertaining game. You know, I think that I come away from this game being very impressed with the game that Jalen Hurts played. Um, and I think specifically him not being really at 100%. I mean, neither, neither of these quarterbacks, I think, truly were at 100% or even close to that. But I was really impressed with Jalen's command of the passing game because I think that was me personally, one of the concerns that I had where are the Chiefs going to make Hurts beat them through the air? And he very nearly did, you know, 304 yards on 27 for 38 completions. Uh, one touchdown pass to um, A.J. Brown nearly had another to Devontae Smith um, in the fourth quarter, but just a tremendous game, and I think just a great game to watch, I think, from both sides. You know, it's too bad that the game ended the way that it did, but 
Definitely, it really... <laughs> definitely a really exciting game. Um, so Chiefs win 38-35, final score. Um, it'll be very interesting to see what happens for both of these teams in, in the offseason. Um, but I think... Again, just a great game. You know, I think it's always great when you have a event like the Super Bowl that lives up to the billing, that a game is, you know, as good or if not better than what the expectation is. So, um, great game. Uh, terrible field conditions, which is something that really blows my mind that it was that bad that the NFL spent, you know, as long as they did with that particular field. And, you know, guys are slipping and sliding, which I don't know if that was a matter of the actual field. Was it the paint that was getting on guys' cleats? You know, it was interesting that I think Jalen Hurts had changed his cleats at some point, um, that maybe the cleats were the issue that guys, you know, were using cleats that didn't have you know deeper uh like points what's the i don't know what the i don't know what the term is but like the the spikes the spikes that maybe they weren't wearing shoes that have that had deep enough spikes um that maybe that was why but who knows you know either way it was a really tough look that you know guys were slipping all over the place and you know affected both teams pretty much equally so, you know, you hope that that doesn't happen again um, because you can't afford to have that happen on the biggest game of the season, you know, the biggest stage and a game in which, you know, really kind of came down to, I don't want to say came down to inches, but a game that was very closely contested and you don't want to be having a field that creates that much of an issue that, you know, not that it made, not that it swayed the game one direction or the other, but it's just, you can't have that. You have to have the best field conditions in the biggest game. You can't afford to have a bad field, which is exactly what it was. So that kind of was too bad. That kind of overshadowed the whole game, in my opinion. But still, it was a tremendous game to watch. And uh, congrats to the Chiefs and, you know, <laughs> I, I didn't really want to say anything about the uh, nonsense dynasty talk, but you know, it's not a dynasty. I think we all understand that it's not. Um, but you know, certain people want to make it sound like it is, which is fine. You know, <laughs> I really don't want to say anything more, so so I won't. We're gonna take a look at some of the other um, NFL notes other than the Super Bowl, the Colts this morning, the Colts this morning. Hiring Shane Steichen to be their new head coach. He's previously the offensive coordinator for the Eagles. And uh, Todd Munkin is leaving the University of Georgia to become the Ravens' offensive coordinator. Uh, the Panthers have brought in Jim Caldwell to join their staff. And the Super Bowl, uh, Super Bowl 57, has drawn 113 million viewers, which is the third most in history so a lot of people tuned in a lot of people eat chicken wings <laughs> the uh, Eagles Lane Johnson will have surgery um, as I think he had played the postseason with 
uh, some type of, I don't know what the injury was, um, torn, torn adductor. Um, he had played through that in the postseason, so he will have surgery post or after the se or after the season. So I think that's going to do it for NFL notes. Going to get to the NBA. Obviously, talked about the trade deadline with Derek Welch plenty that last week on Guest Friday. You guys can listen to that if you have not already. Um, trying to look at some NBA notes. Uh, Justin Holiday, after being bought out by the Pelicans, no, bought out, he's bought out by the Rockets, will join the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, Terrence Ross is also joining the Mavericks as well, I believe. Um, and then I think, yeah, we'll look at the uh, the standings here. Um, Celtics, you know, as we said, first place. In the East, still by a game and a half over the Bucks. Sixers are in third place. Cavaliers are in fourth. Pretty clear top four in the Eastern Conference. Then the Nets are in eighth. Or Nets are in fifth, excuse me. Uh, the Heat are in sixth. And then in the play-in spots, you have the Knicks at seven, Hawks at eight, Raptors at nine, and then the Wizards at ten. With the Bulls just a half game back of that final play-in position. In the Western Conference, Denver has uh, maintained or actually grown their lead in the Western Conference in first place. They are five games ahead of the second place Grizzlies. So the Nuggets, number one, Grizzlies, number two. The Kings are in third, followed by the Suns, the Mavericks, and the Clippers. And then in the play-ins, for the play-in positions, the Pelicans in seventh, Grizzlies, or excuse me, Timberwolves in eighth. Warriors in ninth, and then the Jazz in 10th with Portland and Oklahoma City, or Portland is actually even with the Jazz, um, and then the Thunder are half game back of that final play in position. So I think we're going to get to some NHL notes, and then we'll get you folks out of here. Um, the bean pot obviously was wrapped up last night with Northeastern beating Harvard in the first ever shootout in the Beanpot, which has some people uh, up in arms with that, which is kind of understandable. You know, it's, you know, whatever. You have your, your own thoughts about the shootout, but um, either way, Northeastern wins the Beanpot, their fourth Beanpot title in the last five years, beating Harvard in the... Uh, championship. Uh, Jacob Chikrin, you know, as I may have briefly mentioned when we were talking about the Bruins, is going to be kept out um, of the Coyotes lineup for the next week, um, as he's been, you know, obviously the target of a lot of trade rumors. Bruins are one of the teams that are interested in him, so be very, very curious to see what happens with that. LA Kings retiring uh, Dustin Brown's number the other night. And so we're going to take a look at the, oh shoot, I forgot to give you the NBA games tonight, but we're going to do NHL games first, and then we'll go back to the NBA. So obviously Bruins and the Stars at 8.30, Chicago and Montreal and Carolina and Washington, both of those games starting at 7, seven tonight. 
New Jersey and Columbus, Ottawa and the Islanders at 7.30, Florida and St. Louis, Seattle and Winnipeg at 8 o'clock, and then Tampa Bay and Colorado at 9, and then Pittsburgh and San Jose at 10.30. So now we'll circle back to the NBA, take a look at some games on the schedule tonight. Um, obviously, the Celtics will be in action in Milwaukee tonight, 7.30 start. Orlando and Toronto also playing at 7.30. Sacramento and Phoenix at 9. Golden State and the Clippers at 10 o'clock on TNT. Celtics game is also on TNT tonight. Um, then Washington and Portland at 10. So I think that's probably going to do it uh, for me this week. A little, a little shorter than usual. Not as much content to get through, but uh, looking forward to the rest of the week. Guest Friday will be coming up with uh, talk about the Red Sox as they open spring training. So everyone uh, have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you then.